So let's uh, open in a word of prayer. Father, thanks for a beautiful, beautiful morning and for bringing us out to your house. I pray that as we open your word now that you would grant us understanding into this text. Thank you for granting us this opportunity of study. Thank you so much for your word that tells us what's going to happen. And thank you, Father, that you're there for us and that we know that you're in charge of all things. In Christ's name, amen. Um, Donna asked me a couple of times this week, she says, why are we studying this stuff since we're not going to be here anyways? <laughs> that's cool. And that's a good question, actually. Um, and the, answer, the only answer I have is because, one, it's in the Word, right? It's in the Bible, so you've got to get through it somehow. And also it's because God is trying to tell us that, hey, I'm, I've got it covered. I've got it covered. What would it be like if we did not know what's going to happen? Kind of tough. Yeah, you don't know what to look for. You don't know what's going on. And again, although God's not given us complete, a complete description of what's in the future, he's given us enough so that when we see things happening, we can rest assured saying, hey, God, God's in charge here. I don't have to worry. I don't have to fret. I don't have to be all worked up over what's going on in the world. Um, and Donna was talking about, well, I don't know what's going to happen with Obamba in there. She called him Obamba. And I said, look, you don't need to get worked up about Obama. I mean, don't worry, worked up about anybody, right? As believers, does it matter? No, it doesn't. So don't get worked up over it, all right? God's in charge, and he'll take care of things. And his plan's on schedule. Nothing's going to happen that catches him by surprise. He's not going to be outfoxed by the devil, so you don't need to worry about that. Yeah. It's not all, it's not all about who's us either. It's about the unsaved to who we should be witnessing. Right. Yeah, and so when the world's melting down as Christians, if you keep a level head and you don't get too worried and bothered about it, what does that tell the world? Either you're whacked or hey, there's something that you have that I don't. I think one of the dangers in thinking we don't have to worry about it is that for many people, particularly within the evangelical movement, they think, well, God's going to take care of it. It doesn't matter whether I vote or not, whether I participate or not. I'm not saying we have to go out and be political activists. No. But we do have responsibilities as citizens to exercise yeah. our Yeah, I mean, Christ, I mean, God in the Old Testament, when Israel went into captivity, He told Israel, "You need to pray for the peace of the city into which I send you." So there's a dual responsibility we have. The beautiful thing about being a Christian though, is you don't have to worry about the outcome. You've got people today that they're just all exercised that think that somehow if they don't do something, everything's just going to melt into a mess. You don't need to worry about that. God, God will take care of it. Do your part and let God worry about everything else. Mm. But the whole sermon 
issues that are central to, he believes the tide is turning, and he's using the Gulf as the mm -hmm. basis of that sermon, but, but the tide is turning, and there's going to, and we're headed downhill, and he said, why isn't anybody calling for a prayer in the mass? Yeah. And so today, he said at the end of the message that those of us who belong to Christ need to, if we want to join with him to pray for 140 days, for our country that eyes will be open and that the tide will turn. Yeah. Um, let's look at Matthew 24. Matthew 24. This is probably one of the most important um, prophetic passages in the New Testament because um, it really pulls together a lot of things and it was preached by Christ to his disciples on the Mount of Olives. That's why it's called the Olivet Discourse. A very important text. And this is right at the end of Christ's ministry. And what has happened is Christ has come into Jerusalem. He's gone to the temple. And what did he find in the temple? Money changers. Money changers. What was he looking for? Repentance. What did he find? Greed. People just... No, no, no thought of God at all. And he left the temple. And this, by the way, is a permanent leaving. He never goes back to the temple at this point. And in verse 1, it says, Jesus left the temple and he was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. Christ is leaving the temple grounds and on the way out, the disciples are pointing out the magnificent temple that was built there. And by the way, it was a magnificent temple. It's one of the wonders of the ancient time. Herod had spent over 46 years building it. Um, it was a massive construction. It was a beautiful building. It was probably one of the wonders of that world at that time. I mean, if we had travel in those days, like we do today, there would be trips and excursions to the temple to go see the temple. It was that beautiful. And the disciples are pointing out the temple to Christ. They're pointing out the beauty and the grandeur of this place. And what does that tell you about the disciples' mind at that point? What were they thinking? They were like 180 from where Christ was headed, right? Christ knows he's coming there. He's going to the cross. In a few days, he's going to be dead. And the disciples are wanting to do a tour of Jerusalem. And look at all the pretty buildings. And Christ said, um, he answered them. He said, you see all these, do you? See all these buildings? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. This is all coming down. Now, when did it come down in reality? Yeah, about 40 years later, give or take. It came down. And why did it come down? Because Rome burned the temple. When they burned the temple, the gold in the temple melted down between the rocks. And to get to the gold, they pulled the rocks apart. And today, all that remains of Herod's temple is the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem. Everything else was torn down to get to the gold. And he sat down on the Mount of Olives. His disciples came to him privately saying, Now who is he talking to? Who's the audience here? The disciples, right? They came to him privately. This is not a public sermon to the crowds. This is a 
a chat with the disciples. He's going to talk to the, to the twelve. And what do they ask him? They say, well, tell us when these things will be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age. Tell us, when is this going to happen? When is the temple coming down? Now, there was a teaching in rabbinical circles of those days that when the Messiah came, one of the things he would do is destroy the temple and rebuild it. So when the disciples heard Christ saying, I'm going to, this temple's going to be torn down, what are they immediately thinking of? The physical kingdom. They're immediately thinking of, hey, the Messiah's coming. And Peter said, you are the Messiah. So what are they thinking at this time? He's going to do it fairly quickly. Christ is going to tear this down. He's going to rebuild it. The golden age is upon us. The concept of Christ being dead on a cross in a few days was completely foreign to their thinking. They had no concept of that. And if you want to see their mindset, go back to Luke 24, where you got the two guys on the road to Emmaus. And Christ is walking with them. They say, well, we thought he was the one, but he's dead now. Their, their hopes were shattered. But they don't know that yet. They're, they're in this expectation. And, and they ask Christ, well, when are you, when's this coming down? What's going to be the sign of your, what's it say, your coming? So what are they equating Christ with now? The Messiah. They, they at least got that now. It's taken them three and a half years, but they finally got the idea that, hey, this is the Messiah. They got that. So what's going to be the sign? When's this going to happen? When are you going to, this temple going down? What's going to be the sign of your coming? And the word coming there, apocalypto, I think it is in the Greek, means you're unveiling. When are you going to reveal yourself as the Messiah? When is everybody going to know you're the Messiah? When's it going to happen? And of the close of the age. Now, to the Jewish mindset, what was the close of the age? What was the next age? The kingdom. So what's the close of the age? The end of this time and the beginning of the next time. See, to the Jew, there was this age and the age to come. That was what, uh, this has been drilled into them since they were old enough to speak. They were taught that there's this age, and then there's the age to come, the age of the Messiah, the age of the kingdom, the age of glory. So what are they asking Christ? What's the question they're asking Christ? When is it yeah, how do we know what's going to be the sign of your coming, the end of this age, which is the beginning of the next age, When's that going to happen? The question they're asking Jesus Christ, and this is very important, or you're going to follow the whole passage up. The question they're asking Christ is, when are you going to establish your kingdom? That's the question. If you get that question wrong, you're not going to understand anything in this passage. Because I've heard this passage teach things about the rapture and all. There is no rapture here. There is no church here. This is not talking about Christ rapturing his people home to him. It's not talking about that at all. It's talking about the kingdom. And Christ is not going to answer, if they ask him question A, he's not going to answer question B, right? 
He's going to answer the question that they asked him, which is the sign of your coming, the end of the age. And Jesus answered them. Here's his answer. Now it's important as we work through this answer, he never tells them when. Now that'll frost a bunch of people who write books on figuring out when Jesus is coming back. If you see a book where some guys figure that out, don't buy the book. It's a waste of your money. Nobody knows. It's, it's very clear. Nobody knows when Christ is coming back. But he said, um, he, he doesn't give them the time, but he tells them what's it going to be like when that time is. What's going to generally be going on in the world when this time is? What are the signs of the time? We talk about signs of the time. What's the world going to be like just prior to my coming? And he says here, see that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ. And they will lead many astray. What's one of the signs of Christ's second coming? Right here. False Christ. Now understand what false Christ is here. It could be against Christ. It could be instead of Christ. How's the Antichrist going to pass himself off to Israel? He's not going to come and say, I'm against your Messiah. I want to destroy him. How does he pass himself off? <coughs> I am the Messiah. That's how he's going to pass himself off. Satan's, Satan's not stupid. Satan's in the deception. And what he's going to do here is he's going to deceive people. There's going to be people arising who are false Christ. We've seen a few of those boys around here, haven't we? Sun Myung Moon is one of those guys. He, used to, he claimed to be Jesus Christ. He's here to establish his kingdom. Well, don't worry about Sun Myung Moon. And there's other ones that are popping up here, there, and yon. And Christ is saying one of the signs of the time is there's going to be a lot of people coming in they're saying, I am the Christ. And as believers, what can we rest assured about? Well, we know that this is coming, so we, when somebody comes along and says, I am the Christ, we just simply need to ignore it. Because when Christ comes back, there's not going to be any mistaken when he shows up. And he's going to say that later on. There's going to be a lot of false Christs. And they will lead many astray. And then he said, uh, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. What's another one of the signs of the time? Well, wars. What do we have now? Wars. It's going to get worse. You're going to hear of wars and rumors of wars and and." all over the place. I mean, we tried to outlaw war with the United Nations. Well, that really worked out well, didn't it? Yeah. For this, listen to what it says here. This must take place. It's part of God's plan. Mankind's day is unraveling, and what's going to happen? There's going to be wars all over the place. So when you see wars going on in the world, as a believer, although we hate war, we don't like war, we need to understand that that's part of God's allowance. God allows these wars. 
what about the person who says, yeah, but there's always been wars from practically the beginning of time? You're going to see, I think you're going to see an escalation in the frequency and number. Yeah, and that was a devil's advocate question. No, you're right. Because We've always had wars, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. You see wars all over the world. All right. And the biggest ones are yet to come. Um, we're not going to talk about it today, but you got the Ezekiel 38 and 39 Gog Magog invasion of Israel when God destroys five sixths of the Islamic armies that come against Israel. When does that happen? During the tribulation. God destroys five-sixths of their army. You've got the battle of Armageddon. That's the big one. That's yet to come. But the point that Christ is saying is that in the end time, you're going to have war, an escalation of wars. All over the place, all over the world, you're going to hear that. And then he says, uh, For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of birth pains. You're going to have wars, and of course, what was one of the outcomes of war? Well, famines. What are we seeing today? Famines, people starving to death. Look at the Sudan, look what's happening over there. People, millions of people are starving in the wars, in the genocide wars that are going on. That's part of the curse of this world. And then he says here, there'll be earthquakes in various places. Uh, diverse places, we're going to have earthquakes all over the place. What are we seeing now? in the world an escalation of earthquakes mm -hmm. now and again the big one hasn't hit yet but you see these things starting to escalate when you talk about famines if you look over the past hundred years we're probably at the low point of famines right but there's coming famines you know, right I think this famine, the fact that he puts this famine here, connects it up with the wars. All right, I, th I think those two go together. Because also, you know, when you see, and again, we don't, we're not going to talk about today, the four horsemen of the apocalypse. You've got peace, and then you've got war, and right after war, what do you have? Famine and pestilence. Those things go together. Um, all Christ is saying here is what's going to happen at the end of the time? There's going to be an increasing unrest. You're going to see that in wars. You're going to see in famines. You're going to see... <laughs> different uh, conflicts all over the place. You're going to see earthquakes. Um, diseases. Different diseases. And he says, all these are but the beginning of birth pains. What's he trying to say here? Beginning of birth pains. Well, I've never had a kid. Alright? But I'm told that when time comes for birth, it starts out you know, one and then you know, a couple hours later, there might be something else. But what happens is the time of birth gets closer. Gets worse. Gets worse and worse and worse and worse. And all of a sudden, boom, mm -hmm. the baby arrives. And that's what Christ is saying here. You see in the beginnings of birth pains. It's not, the, the birth is not here yet, but you start to see the beginning of it. And I think what we're seeing in our world today is we're seeing the beginnings of the birth pains. 
How long is he still away? I don't know. That's like you calling the doctor saying, okay, I had a birth pain. When's the baby coming? Well, I don't know yet. Right? Could be two hours. It could be 20 hours. It could be 200 hours. I don't know. We're, we're not told. But Christ is saying, this is generally what it's going to be like before I come back. And then it says here, this is interesting, then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death and you'll be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Who's he talking to there? The disciples. So what is one of the other signs of the end of the age? Worldwide persecution against Christians. Against people who believe. Now, he's going to say they're going to deliver you up to be killed. For my name's sake. Now, I don't know how you read that and walk away to be a covenant theologian believing that we're taking over the world for Jesus. It doesn't fit. Which one, and that's one of the things as Christians, you know, it, we, need, we need to be prepared then just understand that as a Christian, we are on the outside of this world. And if the day comes and we're persecuted, look, that's part of the deal, being a Christian. Don't need to worry about it. It's just that's part of what's going to happen. But what is going to really happen in the tribulation? Well, we know from Revelation 12 that what is the Antichrist going to do? He's going to go out to kill every Jew and every Christian he can get his hands on. And that's what Christ is talking about here. You'll be hated by everybody for my name's sake. And many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. What's that many fall away? Well, there's going to be some people that say they're believers, but when the persecution hits, what happens to them? They're going to walk away. And not only are they going to walk away, but what are they going to do? They're going to betray other Christians. They're going to betray other believers. It's not going to be a good day to be a Christian. In fact, in Revelation, we see that the souls under the martyr were almost, under the altar who were martyrs were almost innumerable. That's part. That's, that's the way it is. The world is going to hate us. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. What's this? False teachers. What do you think we have today? False teachers. I had a couple of them show up at my door last yesterday. Jehovah Witnesses wanted me to come to a Bible study. I said, no, I don't think so. But there would be false teachers. What do you see in the world today? False teaching all over the place. Pardon? Prosperity. You name it, it's out there. It takes many... Again, how many truths are there? How many false teachings are there? You can't count them all. You can't keep up with them. And because, of law, and because lawlessness will increase, the love of many will grow cold. What's the lawlessness there? There'll be a time of lawlessness, a time when normal boundaries are obliterated, when normal things are just... Look, look what's going to happen in the tribulation. It's going to be a time of great lawlessness, a time of great anarchy. And Christ is just saying it's, it's going to escalate, it's going to keep going. But then he says this thing here, um, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. What does that mean? Endures to the end. Perseveres. If you persevere through all of this, what will happen? There's a couple of ways to interpret this. Okay? One is, if you endure without losing your first love, if you endure without apostatizing, if you persevere to the end and are killed... Don't worry about that because you've got the crown of life, right? Mm -hmm. Don't worry about dying. You win. 
Another way to look at this, and I think another valid way to look at this, is during this time of tribulation that Christ is talking about here, if you endure all the way through to the end and you're a true believer, what will happen to you? You'll be delivered from it. You'll be delivered from it. And well, how you'll be delivered from it? Because Christ is going to come back and deliver you from it. And that says here, and the gospel, this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. Delivered. Then the end will come. What's the gospel of this kingdom? What is the gospel of the kingdom? The good news, the Messiah is here. The Messiah is coming. Now there's a lot of components wrapped up into that. But when Christ began his ministry, what gospel did he preach? I'm going to die and be buried and rise again the third day? Did that, is that what the gospel was? No. What was the gospel? Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What's going to be proclaimed in the tribulation? Repent for the king is on his way. You better be ready. Now, in that context, how are you ready? Well, we understand you come by faith to Christ. We understand that. That's how you repent. But there's going to be this proclaiming the king is here. And in fact, in Revelation, at the end of the, towards the end of the tribulation, who's going to be flying through the middle of heaven proclaiming it? An angel. It's going to be proclaimed. This idea that somehow you can get to the, through the tribulation and be oblivious to what's going on, although there's going to be some people that are just oblivious, clueless, there's going to be warning after warning after warning. There's going to be ample time to repent. But what are men going to do? They're going to harden their heart against God. They're not going to repent. So, and then it says here, verse 15, So when you see the abomination of desolation, spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. The abomination of desolation. What is that? That's the Antichrist. Yeah. That's 2 Thessalonians 2. You can write that in there in your margin. 2 Thessalonians 2. And you can also go back to Daniel chapter 9 because in the middle of the week, what is the Antichrist going to do? Break the covenant in the middle of the week. 2 Thessalonians 2. Remember last week we talked about you have this 70 years, or seven years, and in the middle there's going to be the breaking of a treaty. What's the breaking of the treaty? That's when Antichrist comes in and he breaks his covenant with Israel, protection, and he sets himself up in the temple to be worshipped. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And in Revelation chapter 12 it says he's given power 42 months. How long is 42 months? Three and a half years, he's given power to trample underfoot the city. The last three and a half years of the tribulation is his time. And when's it going to start? The abomination of desolation. And this was, there was an historical abomination of desolation. It goes back to Antiochus Epiphanes, a guy in history. And what he did is he came into the temple and he slaughtered a pig on the altar, desecrating the temple. And he forced all of the Israelites at that time to convert to, to Greek religion or he would have them killed. 
And he's an historical figure in Daniel chapter 9, or chapter 10, 11, and 12, if you want to read that. He's an historical figure mentioned there who prefigures the Antichrist. He did what the Antichrist is going to do. The Antichrist is going to force everybody to worship him to receive his mark. And if you don't, you're dead. And he's going to go after them. And Christ is saying, when you see the abomination of desolation, what are you to do? Run for the hills and don't look back. Why? Because the Antichrist is coming after you. You need to get out of Dodge. And you need to go off. And in Revelation chapter 12, we understand that Israel is taken off to the desert and protected sovereignly by God. God isn't going to sovereignly protect some Israelites in the desert. How's that going to happen? I don't know. Is it Petra? Could be, could not be. I don't know. All I know is God said, I'm going to protect them because if he didn't, what would happen to them? They'd be dead. So he, God sovereignly protects them. But what's going to happen to many Israelites? They're going to be killed. They're going to be taken up in the slaughter. They're not going to get away. Um, concerning the Antichrist Epiphany's uh, story in Daniel 10 through 12, um, I was taught at Oberlin because, you know, they want to totally clear out all the prophecy, all the right. miracles, and all that. So uh, I was taught that this is not prophecy for the future, it's already happened with Antiochus and Tiffany's. Now, okay, yeah, prefiguring, it did. So, somebody might say, well, how can you still say this is future because it already happened? Well, this is how, right here. Right. Jesus happened hundreds of years, I mean, this, hundreds of years later. this conversation hundreds and hundreds of years later, such that that right there is the answer. That, you know, a person reading this could say, well, that sounds just like Antiochus Epiphany's situation. Well, it does, but it's later, yeah. so there's going to be another one. One of the things that we can't sort out, because we don't have the time in the class to do that, would be to go through Daniel and show from those passages where, yes, it is talking about Antiochus Epiphanes, this guy that's coming. But right in the middle of a verse, there's a leap forward to the end times. It's one of those prophecies where we talk about the prophecy where there is a near-term and a far-term fulfillment. Remember we talked about that early on? That's what one of these are. And you can exegetically show from the passage where there is that leap forward. And for example, in Daniel chapter 7, it talks about this prince that is to come, the Antichrist. He's going to rule until his body is given over, it says here, really interesting, to the burning flame. Well, what's the burning flame? The lake of fire. What's going to happen to the Antichrist? He gets thrown into the lake of fire. All right? So these all fit together. They all, we don't have the time to fully do this because it would take a year to work through all of the passages. But it does all fit together. All right? There's nothing. You're not, it's not like when you rebuild your car engine, you've got a bunch of pieces left over and you don't know what to do with them. All the passages will fit if you do your work. Yes. Okay, so the that sets up for the historical celebration called Hanukkah. Right, where they re-dedicated the, the, the temple. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But I think what a lot of people miss with that celebration is that it's not just a celebration of lights. There was a miracle of the lights. Right. But its main focus is really the purification of 
purification. The purification of the temple. Mm-hmm. Right. So, you know, we, I think we tend to pass off a lot of these special holy days. Yeah, the, the, because we don't understand the spiritual right. significance there. The Feast of Hanukkah. They're, they're, they're good types. Absolutely. And that's what it is. Of what was to come right. Christ. That's what it is. It's an image. It's a type. It. Was Antiochus Epiphanes the Antichrist? No, but he prefigured the Antichrist in the sense that the Antichrist is going to do some of the things that he did. So if you want to know what the Antichrist is going to be like, you can get a sort of a, 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 an idea by looking at Antiochus Epiphanes. And the, the Feast of Lights was, they went into the, of course the temple's been desecrated, they have to reconsecrate it, they have to purify it, and the story goes that they found just enough, they found oil that only lasted a day, and it took seven days to purify more oil for the temple, but this oil they found actually lasted the full seven days. So they could do the purification and get new oil for the temple. That's the story behind it, and that's the Feast of Lights. Yeah. Um, so the temple needs to be rebuilt Yes. Yes. So we're thinking, you know, the time could come any time. How long is it going to take to rebuild the temple? Not long. Look at the way they build things today. If they put their minds to it, it won't take long. And again, you know, it, it, they might be starting to reconstruct the temple. They got, st they got plans already to build it. They got the stones cut for it, supposedly. All they need to do is get the Mosque of Omar out of there, and they're all ready to go. Um, th this is the thing about God. It's interesting about the way God operates, usually. You say, when's he going to do it? 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 But when God gets around to doing it, it's done. All right? You don't need to worry about that. It might take a long while to, to get the wheel, but once the wheels go, it doesn't take long to pull it off. Yeah, he, he has a way of doing that. Um, and he says here, those in Judea flee to the mountains. Who's in Judea? Well, Jews are. So now listen, this is important. Is this talking about the church? No, it's not. It's talking about Judea, isn't it? It's talking about Jews. This is a Jewish context. Don't get church in here. This is talking about... Judea. And then he says, let the one who's on the housetop not go down to take one who's in his house. Let the one who's in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And too bad for the women who are pregnant and nursing infants. That's going to slow them down. What's he saying? You run. You don't look back. You don't get your coat. You don't get anything. You just head out because there's going to be great persecution that's going to come after you. And pray that your flight not be in the winter on Sabbath. Why is that? Well, that's going to slow you down even more. You need to get out of Jerusalem. Get out of there. For then there will be great tribulation, such as it was not since the beginning of the world until now and never will be. What's going to happen? God's going to pour out his wrath on the world. Not only is God pouring out his wrath, but Antichrist is going after the Christians, after believers, after the Jews, and... There's going to be great tribulation. In fact, it's going to be so great, there's, nothing, there's not been anything like it. You think the Holocaust was bad? The Holocaust has nothing on this. This is worse than the Holocaust. And if those days had not been shortened, no human would be saved. If God did not supernaturally shorten that period of time by putting an end to it, nobody would be left alive. But why is he going to do that? Well, for the elect's sake, I'm going to shorten those days. God has his people that he's going to take care of. Will this great tribulation 
It's going to be worldwide, but where's the focus? Israel. It's like a football game, right? Where's the camera in a football game? On the ball. Where's the camera prophetically? On Israel. That doesn't mean nothing else is going on. Because when you look at some of the vials and the bowl judgments, well, the bowl judgments and the trumpet judgments, that's affecting everybody, right? I mean, when, when a third of the world's ocean is turned into something that looks like blood, well, that's, yeah, that's pretty global. But the focus is on Israel. Alright? And the focus here is definitely on Israel. And it says here, um, and if anyone says to you, look, here is Christ, or there he is, don't believe it. Why? Because, hey, Christ is coming. He's out in the desert. Let's go. No, he's not out in the desert. What's Christ trying to tell him? Don't let anybody deceive you into thinking that I'm showing up at this time, because I'm not. Don't let anybody deceive you and try to lure you out and try to make you think that somehow I'm coming. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. Who's going to be the number one false prophet? Well, the false prophet. What's he going to do? He's going to be able to call down fire from heaven. Now, that's a pretty hefty deal, isn't it? And what's the average charismatic Christian going to probably think? That's the real deal. Sorry, I had to put that in there. If you're looking for signs and wonders, Satan can produce a sign and a wonder. And Christ is saying here, don't be led astray by somebody who can do signs and wonders. They're going to be doing some signs and wonders. Janus and Jambres could turn a rod into a serpent. Now that's pretty big stuff. David Copperfield has nothing on that one. But they're not true prophets of God. Don't, don't go there. Satan is going to deceive. He is a deceiver. He is a liar. Don't be led astray. And if it was possible, what would they do? Even deceive the elect, but it's not possible to deceive the elect. Why? Because God has given us understanding. And it says here, I've told you this beforehand. What's Christ saying? I'm warning you about this so that you know. So you're not going to be caught off guard. And if they say to you, look, he's in the wilderness, do not go out. They say, look, he's in the inner room, we got him, don't go there. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so shall be the coming of the Son of Man. Christ is saying, look, when I finally show up, I'm not going to sneak into the desert. I'm not going to reveal myself in a room in some building somewhere. You, everybody on the planet is going to see it. As lightning flashes from the east all the way to the west, it's going to be seen. I'm not going to have some secret sneak into town in the middle of the night return. This is going to be something that everybody knows about. And if somebody's telling you that somehow I've shown up in the desert or something like that, don't go there, don't believe it, because when I come back, there's not going to be any mistake that I'm coming back. Wherever the corpse is, there will the vultures gather. What is that? Well, how do you find dead bodies? Where the birds gather. All right? Now, that's not talking about dead body, people dead bodies, but it's a, it's a saying, right? It's a saying. If you want to know where when Christ comes back, all you need to do is look for where all the action is, where he is revealed. That, that's where it is. It's not going to be any secret kind of thing. And he says immediately, now by the way, what's he answered so far? Did he say when I'm coming back? No. 
He just said, here's the general time it's going to look like. And immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heaven will be shaken. Oh, after the, the great tribulation, just before, by this is the great tribulation here, the last three and a half years, so at the end, what's going to happen? What's God going to do? He's going to start shaking the heavens, start turning out the lights. The sun's going to go dark. The moon's going to go dark. Of course, we understand why the moon goes dark if the sun goes dark. And the stars are going to fall from heaven. Does that mean literally Canopus and all those stars? No, but figuratively speaking, what's going to be hitting the... What's going to happen? Meteor shower. That's what he's talking about. That's what we understand. We talk about shooting stars. We're not talking about a literal physical star. We're talking about a meteorite but it looks like a star to us. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. What does God do? God turns out the light, and then what light shows up? The Shekinah glory of God. And what's he saying here? Who's going to see that? Everybody. It's not going to be a mistake. There's not going to be any mistaking this return. And just so you don't mistake it, God's going to turn out the natural light so you see his light coming. That's the sign. What is the, now he's answering, what is the sign of my coming? The sign of my coming is the lights go out and you see me coming. Then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man coming in heaven. That's the sign right there. Now again... This is why we believe in the rapture, right? Because this coming of Christ, there's no mistaking it, but when you have the rapture, there is no mention of the bright lights. There is no mention of the lights going out. What happens? He comes back for his own. So there has to be a separation of time between the two events. But it says here, he'll be coming with power and great glory. And he will send his angels, out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. Who gets gathered? The elect. The elect. Who are the elect? Those who believe. The people who truly believe in him, who are truly redeemed. God's going to gather them together. Now this goes back to, remember the parable of the dragnet in Matthew 13 where this large dragnet is thrown into the sea and it's pulled up on shore. And what do they do? They gather the good fish into vessels and what do they do with the rest of it? Throw it away. It's also, remember the parable of the, the seed that was sown and the, the enemy came in and sowed tares and at the harvest, what did they do? They gathered the wheat into the barn and what do they do with the other stuff they burned it up what is God doing here God is separating out his elect from everybody else and who's doing the separation the angels are doing the separation sounds an awful bit like the parable of the wheat and the tares God, no, God, in the rapture, the trumpet sounds and we go up. God does that gathering. This is a different gathering here. So anytime they're talking about gathering from the four winds. 
And the idea of four winds is what? Just everywhere. I mean, you, we understand. We talk about the four corners of the earth. We talk about the four winds, the four directions. It's a figure of speech. It's, That's separate from the rapture. Right. Separate. Rapture is not in Matthew 24. It's not there. Don't believe it's there. It's not there. It's talking about the gathering at the end of the tribulation. That's the whole context. He's gathering his elect together. And then he said, pardon? Oh, I'm sorry. That comes before this. We get that in math in Revelation 12 and 14. Okay. That's where and 18. That's where we so get that. Before, yeah. yeah. Right. Okay. Now, I got to hurry here, or the other class will throw us out. <laughs> we got a lot to go over yet. Now, Christ has said this. He's, he's said this is the sign of my coming. This is what it's going to be like. It's not going to be a mistake. You're not going to be able to mess it up if you just look for. The power and the heavens coming, that's me. And then he says, okay, let's talk about some other things. Learn this. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branches become tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also when you see all these things, you know that he is near even at the very doors. For I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. I've heard all kinds of weirdness on this. And what they say, well, the, the budding of the fig tree was Israel in 1948, and that generation won't pass. So that's 88, and so some guy wrote a book, 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Should Happen in 1988. Look, that's futz. That's, that's, don't go there. What's Christ doing? He's giving an illustration, right? If I say to you, when the cherry blossoms bloom in Washington, you know that Spring is here, right? It doesn't say the exact moment, does it? It doesn't even give you the exact day. It just says, when you see the budding, when you see all these things come to pass, what do you know? The people who see the, the signs beginning are also going to be there to see them all end. This is not going to be drawn out over a long period of time. And just as in, in, in ancient Israel, when you saw the fig tree put forth its blossoms, you knew that summer was just around the corner. Even so now, when you see these things come to pass, you know that he is just around the corner. What is that? What's he trying to get people to do here? Be ready. Be ready. You don't know the exact time I show up, but you know when you see these things coming to pass, just like a fig tree, you know the summer's around the corner, you better be ready. You better be ready. Heaven and earth will pass, but my words will no, not pass away. But concerning that day and hour, what day and hour is that? His return. Not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as, as were the days of Noah, so also shall be the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days of Noah, in those days before the flood, they were eating, drinking, marrying, and giving a marriage till the day that Noah entered the ark. And they were all unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So shall be the coming of the Son of Man. What's the days of Noah like? Well, what were they doing in the days of Noah? Life as usual. This is not talking about wickedness. I mean, yeah, we, we live in a wicked age. It's not talking about wickedness here. It's talking about life as usual. What is eating and drinking and marrying and giving a marriage? That's life, right? People were living their lives and they were completely unaware until what happens? Water started falling from the sky. Well, that's never happened before. And by the way, who got swept away? 
the unbelievers got swept away. Who got saved? The people in the ark. And that says here there will be two men in the field. One will be taken and one left. That's not rapture. It's not talking about rapture. What's it talking about? Who gets taken away? The unbeliever gets taken away. Who gets left? The believer. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken away. One left. Therefore stay awake for you don't know what day your Lord is coming. You better be ready at all times so when he shows up, you're ready. Because you're not going to have time to get ready when he's leading you off to judgment. This is not talking about rapture. This is not, you know, two men are out in the field, one gets raptured and the other one's left. That's not what this is talking about. This is talking about when God comes in judgment, just like the days of Noah, who got swept away? All the unbelievers. In this day, who gets swept away in the, in the judgment? All the unbelievers. Who gets to stay alive? The believers. Not the unbelievers. Yeah, don't worry about that. Don't worry about 2012. Yeah, don't need to worry about that. Yeah, that, that goes back to some Mayan prophecy or something where the calendar ended in 2012 and people think it's the end of the world. It makes a good movie, though, but yeah. It's scary. And then it says here, but know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you don't expect. Christ is giving some illustrations here on the immediacy of his coming. What's one illustration? Well, just as the fig tree puts forth the branches, you know that summer is near. That's one illustration. The days of Noah is another illustration. What does that show? It shows there's a lot of people that are going to be totally caught off guard. Christ is going to come back and they're going to be bewildered as to what's going on. They're going to be doing business as usual. They're going to be planning marriages. They're going to be planning stuff. And Christ is going to come back and ruin all of their plans. And, and then you've got some people who, they sort of have this understanding, you know, well, I, I need to sort of be ready but they're not. Just like if you know that, if you know when the thief is going to show up at your house, you're ready for the guy, right? So we all know generally that somebody could come, but if we're not ready at all times, what happens? He's going to come when we're not expecting it. Christ is trying to show here, look, even though the world sees these events, even though the world knows what's going on, even though the world has an idea that I'm coming back, it's going to be full of people who aren't ready. They're going to be caught off guard. They're not going to be ready. So when I come back, they're going to be caught completely off guard. Just like somebody who knows their house can be robbed, but they're not prepared for it, and the robber comes and gets them when they're not expecting it. Don't be like them. Who's the faithful and wise servant whom his master set over his household to give them food at their proper time? Blessed is that servant when his master will find him so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, My master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of that house servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, an hour he does not know, and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. What's this other illustration? Well, it was common in those days. A master says, You know, I've got to go into this another town, do some business, I'll be back in a few days. 
And if you're the servant of that master and you're over his household, what do you need to do? You need to manage the household because you don't know what. They didn't have cell phones, right? You don't know when he's going to show up. And your luck, if he shows up when you're drunk, that's going to be a bad day. So what do you need to do? You need to be ready at all times so you're ready when he comes back. And if you sit there and say, well, you know, ah, he's, gonna, he's not going to be back for a week. I'm going to party for a week. He might come back in five days and you're going to be caught right in the middle of your party. What's Christ saying? You need to be ready. Because you don't know when the Lord is coming back. You need to be ready at all times. Then we have the parable of ten virgins, right? Now, again, I've heard this preached many times about, well, you know, the ten virgins of the church, you know, you need to be ready. Because and, and, when the rapture comes, you know, if you're not ready, you don't have the oil and blah, blah, blah. Look, this is not rapture. This is revelation. This is the second coming of Christ. So what does Christ do? Christ uses the illustration of a marriage. All right? And in those days, when you had the marriage, you, the, the, the bride had her friends, the virgins, who are going to go to the wedding with her and, and, and enjoy the wedding feast with her. And they needed to be ready because they didn't know when the groom was going to show up. That's the whole point. So if you're the friend of the bride, you need to have your oil and your lamp. You need to be ready because if you don't, and the bridegroom shows up and you head off in the marriage procession back to the place of the wedding and you're not ready, you're going to be left behind. And that's the illustration Christ has here. There would be ten virgins. Five are wise, five are foolish. Five do what? They're prepared. Five aren't. And when the bridegroom delayed his coming and you know they thought, well, he'll be here by eight o'clock. Well, he didn't show up at eight. He didn't show up at nine. He didn't show up at ten. And what happens to their oil? It's running low. And they say, wait, give us some of your oil. And they say, no, we're not going to give you some of ours. You need to go get ready. While they're going and getting ready, what happens? The bridegroom comes and the procession goes to the marriage feast. And who gets left behind? The people who aren't ready. ready. This is not talking, look folks, this is not talking about the church here. By the way, what are we? Are we the virgin or the bride? We're the bride. Christ has gone to heaven with the bride. He's coming back to the marriage feast. What is the marriage feast? I believe the marriage feast is the millennium. Go look at the passages in, the, in the Luke where it says, uh, it talks about many will come from the east and the west and sit down in the what? Kingdom. And the children of the kingdom will be cast out. And then it talks about the marriage of the king's son. Well, that's pretty clear, right? We're the bride, the marriage of the king's son. And who gets to go into the marriage of the king's son? The people who are ready. The people who are invited and are ready. Who, who's left out? Everybody else. Well, they'll be wailing and gnashing of teeth. And we see that in Revelation 19 when we come back with the Lord as his bride. And what do we do? We enter the kingdom. And who gets to be part of the kingdom? The people who are ready. And these ten virgins here, five of them are ready, five are not. And while they're trying to get ready, what happens? The bridegroom comes, it's too late. And they come and say, let us in. And the answer is, I don't know who you are. You're not ready. You're not ready. They get cast out. And he says, you need to be ready because you don't know when he's coming back. The sad thing is there's going to be people at the end of the tribulation who are expectantly waiting for Christ and they're not going to be ready. 
They're going to be looking forward to him coming back. They're, they're anticipating the kingdom only to find out they weren't prepared. And they're not going to get into the kingdom. They're going to be left out of the kingdom. And then finally we have the parable of the talents. I get one minute to do this one. What's the parable of the talents? Well, the master is going to go away and he gives each of his servants some money to invest. And when he comes back, there is a reckoning, right? And the one who had two talents made two more. The one who had five made five more, but one guy did what? Buried him. Did nothing. And what does God do? What, is, what does the master do? He takes the talent from the one who didn't do anything, gave it to the one who did, and he took that one who didn't do anything and cast him where? Outer darkness, where there's wailing and gnashing of teeth. Where is that? That's hell. What's going to happen at the end? There's going to be people that God has given opportunities to, and those who have done something with it get what? They get to enter into the joy of their Lord. What's that? That's entry into the kingdom. And the ones who do nothing with it, who take the opportunities and the, the privileges that God gives them and bury it in the ground, are going to be left out. They're not going to get in. What's the Olivet Disc? And then after this, I don't have time to go through it, we have the sheep-goat judgment. The separation of the... At the end, when Christ separates the sheep from the goats. And what do the sheep do? They get to enter the joy of their Lord. What's that? The millennium. What happens to the goats? They're cast in the outer darkness where there's wailing and gnashing of teeth. They get sent to the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. There's a separation. What's, what's Christ saying here in, in Matthew 24? He's saying there's coming a time at the end of the age when things are going to get worse and worse. But the end is not yet. You're going to see the beginning of birth pains. And then you're going to see the abomination which makes desolate. Then you know what? You better run for the hills. Because now Antichrist is going to have about 42 months. That he's going to trample the people of God down. And then what's going to happen? You're going to see the sign of the Son of Man coming in heaven. But he's not there yet. But you see him coming. So what do you need to do? You need to be ready. Because you still don't know the exact moment he's going to show up. You still don't know the exact instant that time is too late for you. And if you dilly-dally too long, you're going to be left out. You're not going to get in. What do we need to do to get ready? For us, it's believe the gospel. We are not going to, this is not written for the church. In the sense that we need to worry about the events here. All right? But here's, what, here's where it does apply to us. If he's talking about pre-signs here and we're seeing the pre-signs around us, what does that tell us? It's going to be a little, you know, Christ is going to come back seven years for us, seven years before this. So if you, if you look around, you see wars and rumors of wars, pestilence, earthquakes, all, and you see this escalating and escalating, what do you know? Time is short for us. So what do we need to do? We need to even be more ready. Around, so I'll, I'll get around to it when I get this going to get that done. But you don't know when that cassette will click. And so we 
Yeah. We think we know when we're going to die, or we, we have this idea that we're never going to die. Which is sort of a bad idea, isn't it? You know, I keep, I keep saying, well, I'm waiting for the Lord to come back. Hey, maybe I'll die before he comes back. I don't know. So what do you need to do? You need to be ready now. Because you may not have it tomorrow. No, that's true. So. What do they need to do to get ready? Who's they? Israel. Israel right now needs to believe in their Messiah and be part of the church. That's what they need to do now. But a lot of them aren't. So what's going to happen during that time? God's going to bring a third of them through. They're going to see what's going on. They're going to repent after they go through the fires of the tribulation. But they need to be ready, just like we do. They need to be expectantly looking for the Messiah and come to God on his terms, which is what? Repent and believe. Same terms that we have. So, all right, well, let's close in prayer. Father, thanks for a beautiful day and for this time in your word. And I pray that you would help us to ponder these truths. Thank you so much for your son who died to redeem us and forgiven us eternal life. In Christ's name, amen.